But I was crying for another reason. I realized I didn't know him. I didn't know him. And I made a decision that day. I don't know you, but I want to know you. I'll give the rest of my life pursuing you. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. On behalf of Disciple of City, I'm Todd Carlton, and this is the Toddcast. And well, friends, as most of you know, a bad storm has ripped through our area and has taken the Toddcast studios off grid for seven days now. But we couldn't wait any longer, so we got some portable power and decided to do it anyways. However, when my guest drove down the road, I got a text from my neighbor that the power was back on as if he brought it with him. So he's in town to speak at our Every Disciple Sent event, and I did not want to let him leave town without coming into our studio. He's been in a full-time healing ministry for 50 years and has many incredible stories. And he started the Bill Prankard Evangelistic Association, serving the northern parts of our country. And let's welcome Bill Prankard. Wow, thank you. The crowd's going wild. Going wild for you. It's amazing. Studio audience came without power, whatever, they're here. That was a standing ovation, I think, wasn't it? (laughs) Certainly was. (laughs) So good to be with you, Todd. I'm, and I, lo- I love this. I love Disciple of City. I mean, just because in a vision I had 50 years ago in Revival in Canada, I saw all of you guys. And I saw you doing what you're doing. And for me to be alive and see this and be part of it and get to know you, it's a dream. I'm living the dream. <laughs> Amen. That's exciting. Yeah. And I definitely want to talk about that vision. You spoke of it last night. Um First of all, I just want to thank you for taking some time while you're in town to come down uh, with Jacob here today. And uh, really even want to thank you even more for just bringing the hydro through the lines as you drove down my road. It was actually not a problem at all. <laughs> it, it was actually very, we were very nice. There's a lot of trucks in the road, hydro trucks. We waved and smiled at every hydro guy. Yeah. I think that they said, you know what? They deserve hydro. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> but the, I mean, the crews have been working, as you know, around the clock. It's it's amazing, and uh, I'm glad you've got power. Yeah, we, you know, what well, we stopped the other day too to thank them, yeah. right, for all their work. And actually, there's uh, crews have come up here from Alabama and Philadelphia in our area here. It's amazing, which it's, is really good. So thanks to our U.S. friends. Yeah, for sure. So, Bill, um, let let's start out about how you grew up. Did you? I know you live in Ottawa area, but did you grow up there as well? And- no, I was born in Hamilton, Ontario, and then our family moved out in the country. And the only church out there growing up was um, United Church of Canada. So we were United Church people because in those days, almost everybody went to church. And it, it just it was such a different day because, you know, it was a farming area. It was a rural area, one room school that I went to. And um, but um, and, you know, there's a general store and a mill. And that was about it. Four corners. But on Sunday, pretty well, everybody went to church. And the ones that didn't, um, it was a day of rest, family day. If there was any farmer out in the field uh, doing work on Sunday, the people that weren't even Christians would say, you watch, they're not going to get a good harvest. I mean, God can't bless that. Mm. I mean, it was just, you know, the standards were different. And, and then we moved to Brampton. My my father was um, uh, one of the staff at the, well, it used to be Brampton Reformatory, and then they changed it to um, Brampton Training Center. I guess it was a minimum, requ- minimum 
institution and young guys and uh, we lived right on the ground so i kind of grew up in the reformatory and uh, and yeah they taught me how the guys taught me how to ride bike and do all kinds of stuff most of it good and um um, grew up there and my family my parents knew the baptist pastor in brampton so we became baptist and uh, um we were in church all the time i mean every time there's a service we're in church and I had this thing, Todd, that I knew there was a heaven and hell, and I didn't want to go to hell. And so I'd ask the people in my church, now, you know, this is not anti-Baptist because there's as many kind of Baptists as there are Pentecostals. I mean, there's lots, but um, we were the dead kind. <laughs> we were really dead. I asked the people in my church, how do you know you're going to heaven? And their answer was, Basically, their look on their face was, you shouldn't ask these questions. And secondly, they said, well, you can't know for sure. Just work hard in the church and hope for the best. And um, boy, I worked hard in the church. I volunteered for everything. I mean, by this time, I'm a young teenager, but I was teaching Sunday school class, little boys Sunday school class. And I thought, if I'm not going to heaven now, I'm never going to heaven because I took them fishing one day. <laughs> and that was as close to hell as everyone. <laughs> and uh, I'd volunteer for everything in church because i they, that's what they said. But I still didn't know. And then um, I was invited to be on a radio broadcast with um, um, the pastor and a group from the Pentecostal church. It was it was called Brampton Youth Time, I think it was. And um, Saturday mornings, they did a one-hour youth program. And it was supposed to be for the city and all the churches. So he had called the Baptist pastor and said, do you have you know, a young person that you could suggest come on the program, give their testimony? Well, of course. I mean, I was doing everything. I was ushering. I was junior deacon. I was. I helped dig the hole for the sign, the stone sign that's still there in the First Baptist Church in Brampton. And um, so, of course, Bill Prankard was the guy. So I went, and I, I didn't have a testimony mm. because I wasn't a Christian. I had never been born again. But I had answered an altar call in a vacation Bible school when I was about 13. So when the question was, when did you become a Christian? Well, 13. So, And then the pastor, you know, he was very kind. I think he asked the right questions. And, but in that studio, I met, I met a lady named Gwen. Now, this was cutting edge, Todd. I mean, I know you think your program's cutting edge, but this is back 1963. Um, and I'd listen to the program every week. And, you know, they play music and they did, but they had a segment on. Now, this is cutting edge. If you really want to take your broadcast to another level, Poets Corner. And a young lady would read a poem on the radio every Saturday morning. Do you think I should get rid of the intro and start with that? Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Well, if you, if you want people to listen. Yes. And, and her Sorry, name, Curtis. Her, her, name, her name was Gwen. And um, Wow. She was the most beautiful young lady I've ever seen. And um, so we went out. They asked me to come out for lunch with them afterwards. And what shocked me, Todd, was that they were exactly the same in the car, in the restaurant, as they were on the radio. They, talk, they talked about Jesus like they knew him. Like, I'd never heard of this before. Like, I knew all about him. I knew. You, know, you asked me, well... Easter story. I tell you, Jesus came. He died for everybody. And, you know, all this. So that really started me. And then the pastor, he said, we they do a, did a youth rally in the high school every Saturday night. 
And um, he said, Bill, we really need your help. Would, could you come tonight to help with the lights? And the lights there were just you know, moving switches up and down in the backstage. He didn't need my help. He just wanted to suck me into this. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm right there. I'm right there with him. And then um, the next Sunday, I went to church and gave my life to Christ. Mm. And Todd, I found out that the people in my church were wrong. You can know. Bible says these things are written that you might know you have eternal life. Those that have the son have life and those don't have, don't have. Mm. And, um, and then shortly after that, I was baptized in the Holy spirit and then God called me in the ministry. And, um, so we got married, went to Bible school, spent our first three years, um, on our honeymoon here in Peterborough. This, this was Gwen. This was Gwen. The poet. The poet. See, I can't have that. I'm already married. I can't have somebody oh. come and do that. So oh. I'll have to stick with Curtis. Oh, okay. Art Soren's song. Oh, well, that's your, that's your <laughs> call. I mean, I just, I just throw Trying to help things, me things out. out here. I'm just, you know, <laughs> you're on your own. <laughs> but, um, um, yeah, because it, the first three years wasn't great for our marriage. I mean, we're living first year in a one room thing room in in the married couple's residence with paper thin walls with all the other i mean it was it was awful yeah. and so uh we just said well that didn't really count so we decided to keep the honeymoon going we're still on our honeymoon amen 58 years later that's awesome yeah we're working things out <laughs> <laughs> but it's yeah yeah so that's that's where it started and uh, but i had a pastor who believed in me yeah. and um and saw something in me when i i didn't that's great. Yeah. Bill, you said that last night. So Bill Bill spoke at our Every Disciple Sent event that started in Peterborough last night. Um, it'll be well past at the time this airs. But um, you said that last night, Bill, um, that this really resonated with me that while it was, we're get into Catherine Kuhlman, but mm-hmm. just that people knew Jesus and you knew about him. And when you said that last night, it's rang to me like religion, right? If you're religion, yeah. Christian religion, you know about Jesus, but yeah. do you really know him? So can you talk about, um, your encounter in 1972 with Catherine Kuhlman and, and just enlighten us with that? Well, it, it's a crazy story. It, um, I always felt God wanted to heal people. If God's God, he should be doing the things you read in the scripture. If he's really the same yesterday, today, and forever, but we weren't seeing it at the most hit and miss. And uh, I, you know, I was ordained by this time in the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada, so I'd gone through Bible school. I'd taken all the courses. I knew all about Holy Spirit, and uh, I'd met him. He gave me a gift, but like just to meet somebody and have them give you a gift doesn't mean you know them. Jesus said you'll know him because he's going to live with you. And you really get to know people when you live with them. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Jacob and I have not lived together, but we spent a long time last year on the road, 100 hours in a car, let alone all the flights and all the stuff and all the meals. And um, we got to know each other pretty well. And we're still still friends, still getting along. And uh, But when people want to know what I'm like, they don't ask me. They ask Gwen, what's he really like? Yeah. Because they know if you live with a guy, then you, you know him. And I saw in Catherine Kuhlman somebody that really knew him. She loved him. I mean, she didn't talk it, She didn't talk about Holy Spirit like a force or a power or something. She talked about her best friend, her lover, and he had become all of that. And I, something rose up in me and said, you know, if, if she can know him, I can know him. 
Yeah. But but it's interesting because I first heard of her on the radio. Um, we were pastoring in Quebec and um, driving home one night um, from a Bible study. I turn on the radio and there she was and she talked weird i mean you know very dramatic and uh, i don't know if they've ever heard any of her tapes but she really you know she had very dramatic and every radio program started exactly the same hello there and have you been waiting for me and i'm thinking no <laughs> i actually wasn't <laughs> but then most of the programs were in the services hearing testimonies of people getting healed and I came home and I said to Gwen, people are getting healed. Miracles are happening. And she said, where? I said, I don't know. And I don't know who this lady is. I don't. But I said, she talks weird. So night after night, we would sit in the car because we couldn't get the radio station in the house, sit in the car and listen to her. And um, uh, then we moved to Beachburg in the Ottawa Valley, found out there were busloads of people every week went down to Catherine Coleman's meeting. In Pittsburgh, because a man named Ken May had been healed of cancer. Wow. In her meeting in Pittsburgh and started taking people down and they started getting healed. So every week, this is what he did. This was his ministry. You buy a ticket on the bus and it included a night in a hotel in Pittsburgh and get you into the service. And and so many people he was taking and so they were healed. And so he said, we always like to take a pastor. And uh, would you come? I said, I'd love to. But... This is the interesting thing. In between that time and now, uh, when I actually went, I was in pastors' meetings, ministers' meetings with my, you know, leaders, and I was twenty-seven years old, and I'm trying to figure this out because, as I said, I wasn't brought up in all this, and it just didn't make sense to me. It was twelve-hour drive in a bus. Why do people have to go so far to see the power of God? Yeah, like like that. And they said to me, well, they don't. They don't. They could come to any of our churches and see the same thing. But those people are troublemakers. You stay away from them because, um, you know, they don't come to our church and and, uh, they're just following Catherine Kuhlman. And then they said, they said some very negative things about Catherine Kuhlman. And, um, and, you know, and they said, we don't even know who she's connected with. She's not even Pentecostal. Well, See, I didn't understand any of this at the time, but when people speak words to you, particularly about ministry or Holy Spirit, they plant seeds in your heart. And if you don't deal with it, they'll grow. And so here I am. I mean, my wife had been healed listening to one of the radio programs. Wow. And and it's very serious, um, life-threatening kidney uh, infection disease thing, and God totally healed her. So you'd think I'd be so pumped. I became critical. Of Catherine Coma. Hmm. Like, I can't even believe it. So, after hearing those things, negative things from people, seeds in my heart that I didn't deal with. Like, when people say negative things, I mean, you can't stop people from saying negative things. You can tell them at some point, I don't want to be part of this conversation. I don't talk like this. But, you know, if they plant seeds, you have to deal with it. You have to ask God to wash you clean and get rid of these seeds. And so, when the, the call came, it was on Wednesday. He said, we're leaving tomorrow because her meetings were 9 o'clock Friday morning, which by this time I thought, that's stupid. Like, who would have a meeting at 9 o'clock Friday morning? <laughs> Although they did have a good meeting in Jerusalem years ago at 9 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> so I don't know whether that's what she thought or not. And um, 
so the call came and said, um, we need you. You said you'd come. We, we need to come tomorrow. I said, well, like I need more notice than that. Well, I really didn't. I was pastoring a little church and there was, wasn't a lot to do. <laughs> and and um, uh, they said, well, I said, why are you calling at the last minute? Well, the pastor is supposed to go is sick and he can't go. I said, well, he must have others. Yeah, well, we've got a few. So they called back and they said, we've called them and they can't go. So you have to, you said you'd go. So I went and I went with the idea of criticizing and I got in the service. It was like we, we drive down there, 12 hour drive. And I didn't want to, I'm with these troublemakers on a bus for 12 hours going to Catherine Coleman's that I'm critical of now. And um, so I think, okay, I'm just going to go. I'll criticize, come back and say nothing there. And, um, but then you see, I'm the pastor. I'm supposed to help these people. I'm supposed to lead these people. Then Ken said, look, we get in the hotel, we'll have a bite. And then we have a prayer meeting Thursday night before the, and uh, you'll lead the prayer meeting. Well, great. So we had a girl on the bus. She was um, probably about four years old. Um, Greek Orthodox, mother and daughter. The daughter never walked. Her legs were like rubber. Her doctor said she'd never be able to walk. And um, so I thought, we'll focus on that. Because no matter what, God can heal. God can heal the girl. So we spent that evening praying for her. Then Ken said, we have to be... Uh, we were just, we stayed downtown Pittsburgh and she was in the first Presbyterian church. She rented that every Friday morning and um, it was right downtown. So it's only two or three blocks from where we we're staying. So he said, tomorrow morning, we'll walk over about 530. We need to be on the steps of the church by six o'clock in the morning. Now, now Todd, I'm a morning person, but that was still like night. We'd had a long <laughs> trip <laughs> and, and it's wet. It's March. It's wet. It's, it's, it's. And I was tired, I was cranky, and I didn't want to be there. But the people, all of them were there. And the reason you, I said, why do we have to be here so early? If it doesn't start till nine o'clock, well, you won't get in. Mm. Like I'm thinking, who would come? People came from all over the world to be in this weekly meeting. And um, so then they said, when the doors open, don't be polite. (laughs) I said, well, you won't get in. Well, you had no choice. The doors open, it's like water, just you're pushed in, end up sitting about three quarters away back. And the church filled up immediately. And um, my experience was that, you know, once the church was filled, she'd start the meeting. And uh, so I don't, I don't know that she ever started at nine. It might be eight, might be 30, whatever. Whenever Whenever they they open the doors, just filled and they filled the basement and they filled, you know, so sitting three quarters way back. And I think, okay, I don't want to talk to anybody. I just want to be, don't even want to be here, but I'm here. And the lady next to me starts talking, wants to know all about me. So I tell her I'm a pastor and she said, I feel so good sitting beside you because I'm Catholic. I've never been in a Protestant church in my life. And, but you know all about this. I patted her hand and said, yeah, you know, you're, you're blessed to be sitting beside me. Because even though I'd struggled when God called me to the ministry, because I knew I had nothing to offer. And finally, I just said, well, I've got my life. I'll give you my life. But I had no talent, ability, and what, not that smart. And and um, But now I'm arrogant. I think I'm the answer man. <laughs> <laughs> like, I know everything. And, and so um, I said, why would you come here? I, I felt I had to. I was kind of pushed into it. But she said, well, I need a miracle. And I heard miracles were happening. When the word gets out that miracles are happening, it happened in Jesus' day. It happens in our day. People come. 
people come. So um, this they don't. They don't seem to come here though. Like North America compared to other countries, do you find? I mean, they do, but not like not like some of the other countries where they come by tens of thousands. Well, they asked Reinhard Bunke. He was on a he was a great healing evangelist um, and had Africa. He was going to see all Africa saved. He passed away at seventy nine years of age, and they documented seventy nine million souls. They wow. had cards that they'd from his altar calls there. And uh, the people came because of the miracles in Africa. And they asked Reinhardt, why don't we see the same miracles here? Because he'd see the dead raised. He'd see it all. And, and the person asking us said, I think it's because we don't need it. You know, because we've, we've got medical, we've got this. And Reinhardt said, no, there's only one God. Same God in America as it is as he is in Africa. It's our mindset because we're not seeing, we're not seeing miracles like they are in other parts of the world, but we're going to. Yeah, amen. Because you are part of a ministry that's connected with a lot of ministries in your generation that are taking the limits off. And um, it's, it's harder to have faith for the unusual when um, you've been around a long time, you know, like I found like with giving, when I first got saved, it was easy for me to give everything. And then it got harder because you think, well, I need this and I, you know, I've committed to this and this and, and, and I find that way with everything with, with faith and miracles. And uh, so anyway, Catherine comes out in this service and wow, does she come out white dress, flowing dress, fans blowing gently behind her and a spotlight on her, the organ and the piano. Like you knew, you knew the service had started. And, um, um, and, and when she, um, led, like she'd lead in, in, um, uh, how great thou art say, and she, her arms would start floating and she looked and she almost like a ballet thing. It looked like she was floating. And she would say, I, I think I heard it. I was only ever in three of her meetings because then, because revival broke out and I got busy. But uh, she said, I'm the most ordinary person in the world. And I think, no, you're not. Like, there's nothing ordinary about the lady, you know. And then she'd say, Jesus. And, and she'd always have tears streaming down her cheeks, but the biggest smile. At the same time, she Jesus, don't let them see me. Let them see you. And so I'm there to criticize. I'm thinking, well, turn off the spotlight. Put a black dress on. Like, you know, you could help this. And uh, Todd, it gets really hard to criticize when you're being overwhelmed by Holy Spirit. Yeah. It's really hard. I was trying. <laughs> I was trying to fight this thing. But but the presence of God was so amazing. I mean, I'm just being overwhelmed. And then, um, you know, she started ministering people, and people started falling. And, I mean, some of them looked like flying here and there. And, and the woman beside me, the Catholic lady, that I'm supposed to be helping, grabs my arm and says, what's she doing to them? Well, I'm the answer man. So I, I patted her. I said, this is just the power of God. And she got so happy. And she actually got healed in that meeting. When I said that, Todd, two words, he came. Mm. He came. Holy Spirit came. I felt his finger in my chest saying, yes, this is my power. And you've never seen it. 
you've had a form of godliness and you've denied my power. I used to preach about those people. Like the United Church of Canada was across the street from our Pentecostal church in Beechburg. And of course, they always got out of church before us. And I could see at the back window while I'm preaching them coming out the steps. And I, I would never mention names, but I point. There are those out there that have a form of godliness and deny the power thereof because I thought, we've got it. And now he's saying, it's you. It's you. And I started weeping. I started weeping. I put my head down by my knees and started weeping. And the lady, the lady I'm helping, puts her arm around me. She said, are you okay? I said, no. She said, can I help you? I said, no, no one can help me. Because I never wanted to deny his power. I never knew I was. And, and, um, but I was crying for another reason. I realized I didn't know him. I didn't know him. And I made a decision that day. I don't know you, but I want to know you. I'll give the rest of my life pursuing you. Like the smart thing Paul did, after he received this experience in Damascus, he told him in Jerusalem later, I spent the first three and a half years not praying not for people, not ministering, not starting church, out in the desert because I wanted to learn of him. I wanted to know him. And everything that came out of Paul's ministry, I believe, came out of that relationship. And I had no understanding of that. I just thought, this is another thing you got. I used to be in the boy Cubs, so you put a thing on your arm, a badge on your arm. I got this and this and this, and, you know, you got it all. And um, uh, that was life-changing for me. In that service, I never got near Catherine Kuhlman. I never, she never touched me. She never prayed for me. But um, I had an encounter that changed my life. And I decided I'll give the rest of my life pursuing you. Because you can't possess what you don't pursue yes some people sit back and they say well god whatever whatever you want you know whatever you want whenever you want you know where i am and then wonder why it doesn't happen i mean elijah in scripture received a double portion of the mantle of elijah and i think why did he i mean there were a lot of sons of the prophets just like him in the land all of them knew god was going to do something all of them knew they're moving into another day they're all satisfied to stay where they were but this one guy said i'm never staying i'm not going to miss it i'm going to be there and he picked up the mantle because he was hungry and he pursued and so that started me on a pursuit on the way home in the bus miracles started happening how did I start the ministry? Put my seat back and went to sleep. They came and woke me up. They said, things are happening. And one after another after another came up to the front. And um, um, yeah, I had a microphone. And so it's in the middle of the night now, but nobody's sleeping because people are getting healed. And these were all the troublemakers on the bus. The troublemakers are getting healed. And I, I just, I didn't want to be distracted. I just, Holy Spirit, I just want to pursue you. And, and like... But this was happening. And so, you know, they'd come up and testify. And as they're testifying, the power of God would hit them. And they down on the back in the slushy, mushy aisles. And so after about the third or fourth one, we thought maybe we should have somebody stand behind them. That might be good. And, but the bus driver, his name was Tom. He would promised me he's going to come to the meeting. And he didn't. And I'm talking to him because we drove out of Pittsburgh, stopped for coffee. Then we're going to be driving through the night. And I said, Tom, you should have come. It was wonderful. So many people got healed and touched. And he said, why didn't the little girl get healed? Because we carried her back on the bus. Mm. I said, I don't, I don't know. But Tom, it was great. Partway through this night, people are testifying. We heard a shout and the little girl 
the little girl was running up the aisle, Todd. Wow. And I looked down. I'm standing, you know, facing the people. I looked down at Tom. I'm right beside him. And he's got rivers coming out of his eyes. And he's driving fast down the highway, but he's not looking at the highway. He's looking in the mirror because this was a big thing for him. If God's healing, why doesn't he heal the little girl? And um, people say, how, how long did you pray for this ministry? Well, I started praying then. I started praying, God, if you know how to drive a bus, you know, drive this. Because I thought, what a tragedy to be. If we go off the road and all get killed and nobody knows, <laughs> nobody knows what's happened. <laughs> so um, anyway, that, that, it just was phenomenal all night. And I got, an, I got a message from a man that I've never met um, probably three years ago. He said, Bill, I just want you to know that what started on the bus is still happening. My dad was the bus driver. Our whole family came to Christ. I'm in the ministry. He was an overseer in the four four, um, square church out in British Columbia. And he said, in every meeting, we pray for the sick and people getting healed. But it started on the bus. It like, it just phenomenal. So, you know, I get back, it's it's like, I don't know, five o'clock in the morning, I crawl into bed, and my wife, <laughs> she's not a morning person, <laughs> but she kind of roused and and uh, um, just kind of grunted, how was your trip? Well, what do you say? <laughs> what do you say? I said, Where do you start? I, I said, well, it was great. I said, um, get some more sleep, and in the morning, you know, we'll talk about it. She was, I don't think she was even awake. So that didn't. So in the morning we sat at the kitchen table. We had four little kids. Our youngest was one. Our oldest was just starting kindergarten and life was nice. And uh, I'm trying to explain to her what happened. What happened to me? I'm trying to explain to her what happened on the bus, but we had nothing to compare it to. And uh, so I I said, Gwen, you've got to go. You got to go next week. We'll both go. So we did. We went back because now I, I like these troublemakers <laughs> and I love Catherine Coleman because <laughs> I repented of all that. So we went back the next week. So she, because I wanted her experience it. to experience it and understand. But Sunday morning, um, we started the service and on a good Sunday morning in Beachburg, we had maybe 50 people. And uh, um, I always walked to the platform and then the custom in those days was to kneel down at the chair and supposedly pray, you know, in front of everybody and then get up and start the service. And I walked to the chair and I was just about to kneel down. And honestly, when I did that, I wasn't really praying. I was thinking, I hope the back of my hair is okay. I, you know, <laughs> everything's okay. And how long should I stay down here? Cause, cause it's, you're trying to make an impression on these people. They, Oh, look at our pastor. Like if you haven't prayed before the service, it's a little late. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, just, so I went to the chair and I just stood there and people are watching, expect me to kneel. I didn't kneel. And I turned around, I went walking to the pulpit and I got near the pulpit and I thought, no, I can't. I've been in the way too long. I don't want to be in the way. And I understand that there's room for Holy Spirit in me at the pulpit. But I went to the far side of the platform, did the whole service. I just didn't want to be in the way anymore. Even though my doctrine said Holy Spirit's a person, you know, you'll never use him. He wants to use you. I was telling Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, go here. Holy Spirit, do this. Holy Spirit. And he wasn't doing it. He's just waiting. 
And he started, that started a journey. He said, Bill, you go. You go to the Arctic. You go to the, you do, go to India. Do whatever. And, and um, so I just blubbered through the service. And I said to them, I said, as your pastor, I've failed. And I've repented. And I want to repent before you will. If there were cell phones, there weren't in those days. They would have had been recording. They would have been texting. They would, Our pastor is going to repent of whatever he did. And I said, I've had a form of godliness. And I've denied him. But I've repented. I'm never again. I promise never again. And what I didn't realize, some people love that because they've been praying. And some people got mad. They got upset because, well, they thought that meant, well, they were too. There's nothing to do with them. This was me. But so I blubbered through the service. And at the end of the service, you know, I'm at the back. I'm saying good morning to people. And several people in our congregation said, Pastor, I was healed this morning. Like I was taught I was shocked because these were people I'd prayed for so much. I knew them. I didn't know a lot of people on the bus that were, you know, getting healed, but I knew these people. I mean, honestly, I'd prayed for them, some of them so long, I think they had my fingerprints in their head, and I poured so much oil on them, they could slide in and out, and they didn't get healed. Now I'm standing blubbering, pursuing Holy Spirit, and they're getting healed. Wow, yeah. And so I said to my wife, I said, I, I can't go home, I because we had an evening service. I said, I'm just going to stay here. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going on. I was, I mean, I'm in shock. I'm trying to process all this. And um, so she said, well, I'll take the kids home and give them lunch and have a rest. And so I go in and I just lay on my face pursuing him. And before I knew it, it was like, it felt like 20 minutes. It was time for the evening service. So I get up, I fix my tie. Of course, you wore a suit and tie in those days and um, uh, made sure my hair was okay. I walk out. My office open up into the lobby. The lobby was filled with chairs. I hadn't heard a thing. The lobby was filled with chairs and it was full. And it was the people from our church sitting there. And I think, why are they sitting in the lobby? Because <laughs> on a good Sunday night, we might have 30, 35 people. And there was that many in the lobby. And they don't, they don't look that happy. They showed up for church and they couldn't get in. The auditorium was filled. The back rooms were filled. And I'm thinking, and I didn't know the people that were in the auditorium. And some of them said they'd heard about the bus trip. And they come, some people that were on the bus came with others. But a lot of them said they hadn't heard anything, but they just felt something said, you should, you need to go to that church tonight. Some of them never been there before. And so I just started the service and uh, God gave me a word of knowledge. And uh, but somebody being healed. And I spoke it out. And immediately somebody said, it's me. And I was shocked because <laughs> this is all new to me. And so they came up and they testified and the power of God hit them and they fell down. I mean, wow. <laughs> so again, we thought we should get some help here. That night we saw so many miracles. And then I gave an altar call and um, over half of the crowd came forward. And I'm trying to explain, no, no, this isn't for healing. This isn't for, and I look and they're all weeping. And most of them were first time decisions. So good. Making. Taught in one service, I saw more people healed and saved than I had my entire six years or whatever it was by that time before that. And I'm not doing anything. I didn't preach. 
I mean, I'm just standing with my mouth open, just trying to figure this out and pursuing him. To me, anointing is no more, no less than relationship with the Holy Spirit. That's the key. That's the key to longevity. That's so, you know, over the years, um, no question, he's become my best friend. I love him. I love going for walks with him. He talks to me. Amen. And I talk to him. And it's so good. Like, I, I normally have never traveled alone for a lot of reasons, but I was speaking at, I think it was a conference out in Western Canada, and I was just going to be speaking one night, flying out and back. So everybody decided, the team, because there's a lot of other stuff going along, that I could go on my own. And so, you know, somebody took me to the airport, got me in the plane, the pastor met me at the other end, so well protected. So had a great service. He drove me back to the hotel, and I was going to be flying out early the next morning. And uh, so we pull up, and he said, I really feel sorry for you. I said, why? <laughs> and he said, well, because, you know, you're going up there. You're going to be all alone. Must be awful. I said, oh, it's okay. He didn't know. I could hardly wait. <laughs> get in the room, close the door, put the chain on the door, and say, okay, Holy Spirit, we've been with the people. We've done this, but now it's you and me. And Todd, I've literally felt him hugging me. Over the years, he just comes and hugs me, wakes me up sometimes in the night. When it started, I thought, it's going to be a great revelation here. If He wakes you up in the night. I get a pen and paper. There's nothing. And I say, why are you doing this? He said, well, you were busy today. You know, didn't have much time for me, but I noticed you weren't doing anything now. And I just thought we could be together. Like, Todd, this is God. Mm. Wanting to spend time with me? Are you kidding me? So I'd get up and I'd sit in a chair because otherwise I'd fall asleep again. And I'd just feel his arms around me, hugging me. And um, so he's my best friend, but I just, I feel like I'm only starting. The relationship, I mean, there's so much more. I know there's so much more. And Paul had that towards the end of his ministry. You know, he was said, I'm still pressing on. And he said, I want to know him. And, you, you know, he could have the attitude, well, if he doesn't know him, nobody does. Well, he did know him. He took years to learn of him, but he still knew there was more. And that's, you know, that's my marriage. I mean, I, I'm still trying to get to know my wife. Because she, she changes. Like, we were some, went somewhere, and they, people met us at the airport with yellow roses. Her favorite. And I said to her later, she loved them, and I said, isn't that wonderful? What? I said, they give you your favorite. Oh, that's not my favorite. <laughs> well, it used to be. It was for years. Yeah, but I've changed. <laughs> like, so, so Holy Spirit's like that. He's, he's just... That, and you know what? That really excites me. I felt like that. He's the Alpha and the Omega, so mm. you can never truly fully know him. No. So the journey, and you're obviously a testimony of that. If you've been in ministry this long, and you just said a few seconds ago, you, you feel like you're just beginning. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's so exciting. Well, and I, f- I really feel, Todd, that everything that's happened to this point in my life and the ministry has been preparation for now. You know, and I, I don't think preparation is over. I don't think it ever is, but I think I've been prepared for this hour. And um, what I'm seeing now in Canada, in the meetings, is what I've been dreaming about, what I've been waiting for. Yeah, and so you spoke about this at the beginning, and you spoke about it last night, a vision, uh, a vision that you had 
uh, about revival in Canada. Well, and, you know, because and and if I hadn't have had that, I probably wouldn't be living in Canada. I probably wouldn't have been ministering much in Canada because the first when revival broke out in Beechburg, the first calls that came were all from the United States. Pastors I'd heard about, conferences I'd heard about, um, saying, we want you to come. We've heard we want you to come. Canadians were much more reluctant. In fact, <laughs> some of the pastor's friends, the closest Pentecostal church to me, and one of my friends, from the pulpit says, don't go to those meetings. It's not God, it's the devil. That's my friend. And he'd never been to the meetings, but um, then others were just reluctant. Let's wait and see, you know, and which maybe is a Canadian way. Uh, but some of the first invitations were to the States. But after I got back from Pittsburgh, almost immediately, the revival broke out. But I had a vision. I had one night free, and I went over to the Ottawa Valley Pentecostal Camp, sat on a rock on a hill overlooking Muskrat Lake, and I saw Canada. I saw Canada not as it was, not as it is now. I saw it as it will be. I saw it in revival. I mean, the entire nation, from sea to sea to sea, revival. I saw the fire of God spreading, the glory of God covering entire cities being shaken like in Samaria filled with joy people praising every street I saw a thousand young people on the streets of Ottawa doing the works of God and uh, um, stadiums filled and parliament coming to halt because of what God was doing I mean I saw in such detail the fire of God spreading across the north of our nation and I knew I knew that's what God was going to do. And I knew I was to give my life to that. So when the invitations came from the United States, um, I don't think I was really nice about it. I said, no, no, I can't, not going. I'm supposed to stay here in Canada. And, and I was, and for a number, I've given my life and ministry to Canada. Um, so, you know, I'm not known much in the United States or other countries, which is great. Go down and visit, be in churches, and you just... Just sit there and receive. It's great. But, um, um, you know, Benny Hinn is a friend, and he was in Toronto, and he moved to the United States and, you know, based his ministry there. And he always, he used to phone me. Like, he was, he went to Catherine Coleman's a year later and had an encounter with the Holy Spirit when he came home in Toronto. He lived in Toronto. But he'd call me. He was in California and other places and tell me about the crowds and the offerings and everything. And, Bill, you need to come. You need to come. I said, if I could, I would have been there before you, but I can't, I can't, it's, I got to stay here. And, and a lot of people never understood that, but I didn't care. I knew that I didn't want to miss this. And I'd say to all of them, one day you'll know. Why did you stay? They ask, one day you'll know. One day, and that day is starting to happen so let's go so yeah so you know after a few years like in Beechburg I had men come to me and um, invite me to India and telling me India needs you India needs the ministry and I was so excited and Holy Spirit said no and um, I said but but they need me he said no you're not ready it would have destroyed me and um, after a few years 
you know, an invitation came. God said, you can go. I said, well, because I said, well, okay, I'm never going to India. Well, then he says, I'm calling you to go to India to minister. And what was, what was life changing? But, but I realized that it wasn't about India. It was about me. God needed to do continue to work in me because I would have just been puffed up about this whole thing. But um, I came to the point I was able to go and minister to thousands and and it was great. I, I you know, got to spend time with a hero of mine, Mark Bontain, who was a Canadian who built great hospital and churches and schools and and that in Calcutta. I preach for him every year. And uh, he um, went to Calcutta, was just called the cesspool of the world, and said, I'm not going to curse the darkness, I'm going to light a candle. And I spent time with him, spent time with Mother Teresa in Calcutta, which was life-changing, and wow. got to know yeah. her as a friend. And uh, so every year we did that. Then I'd go out and preach the Crusades. But um, So I realized, okay, now I, I can do that, but my priority will always be Canada, and it is. And uh, when the trucker's convoy was in Ottawa, um, you know, Jacob and many of you were in Ottawa and uh, hundreds out in the streets doing the work and FaceTiming me. And I said to Gwen, I've seen this 50 years ago. I saw it before they were, any of them were born. I saw it doing that. And so you, I mean, I don't think anybody can understand how blessed I feel to be alive to see this and then to get to know all of you and be part of this and to walk together with you. I mean, this is the best and it's going to get better. And so, you know, our mission field, like if you told me I was, would be involved in missions, I would have been excited because every missionary I saw had palm tree pictures and beaches and huts. And, um, but we went left instead of right or something. And our mission is the Arctic. Right around the Arctic Circle, we've got a center on the Arctic Circle in Canada. We ministered to the north. We just got back from Nunavut and um, uh, minister in Arctic Russia right across the top. And um, So that's that's what I'm glad you brought that up because that's what I wanted to ask you. So you're the Evangelical Association. When did that start and, did, and was that primarily the Arctic Circle. No, it started it in 1972 and it basically was just oh, uh, right to see Canada saved. And so, you know, we went on television right across the nation. We, for years, we had the number one Christian television program in Canada and uh, uh, getting great crowds. And I was in Winnipeg and we had a meeting uh, in the convention center between two and 3,000 people, miracles, healings. I get back to the hotel and I'm thinking, wow, that was amazing. Look what we're doing. And Canada's changing. And um, God said, you haven't done what I've told you. I said, well, did you miss the service tonight? Because <laughs> it was pretty good. And he said, north. North. And um, so, yeah, I had this guy. He was John Spilner. He had a one-engine Cessna plane on floats. And he did northern Ontario in a bit of northern Quebec. And he was after me to go. And um, so I was doing a monthly meeting in Timmins. Every every month we'd drive up with a team to Timmins and we'd do a one-night service there. And and he lived near there. And so he, he said, you know, you're going to be here. So I said, I'll give you one week. After the meeting, next day, a couple of us will go with you. 
And so we flew all over. Some days we had two or three meetings in two or three communities. We'd fly in, land on the lake, go to, you know, and have services. Sometimes outside down by the fire you know, they had going and whatnot, and it was great. And I had a meeting in uh, Fort Severn, which is the most northern community in Ontario, standing right on the, uh, the shores of Hudson's Bay. And I'm thinking, this is like, this is it. North, I'm here. And God said, North. <laughs> I'm thinking, uh, well, I think this is North. <laughs> and um, so I went back, and the place we were staying, it was a house that I think construction workers used when they were there and that, but the house was available, so they put us in there. There's a big map of Canada. And I looked, and my goodness, like if you told me, if you'd asked me, where's the center? geographic center of Canada. I said, Winnipeg. But then I look and there's all these places up there. The geographic center of Canada is Baker Lake, Nunavut, which means there's as much above that as there is below. And I see all these names of places I'd never heard, never thought of. And then the same guy, John Spiller, invited me to come to what I thought was the end of the earth. It was um, Pavangnatuk, which is southern Arctic. It's in Quebec. And uh, went there first Inuit community, and I fell in love, fell in love with the people. And that's where I made a commitment to do everything we could to reach them, to help them. And um, because the scripture Canada's founded on is he shall have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth, which they felt was the Arctic. And um, so it's, it's a vital part of the nation. And they've got to see, and they the challenges they have with isolation and the abuse that's gone on. I mean, Cape Dorset, we just were at, uh, back, I think it was the 1980s, they um, had a priest slash teacher who, as far as they know, abused every, sexually abused every boy in the town, between 80 and 90 boys. He's in jail for the rest of his life, thank God. But some of them committed suicide, yeah, the damage. Eh? Some of them, the rest of them grew up and they're the leaders up there. And it's never really been dealt with. And so they abuse. And they, and so suicide. What really propelled us to take the Arctic mission to another level was I got a message that 11 year old boy in Cape Dorset had committed suicide. Like, Todd, 11 year old boy. Oh. Like, when I was. 11 years old, I think I was still eating gravel outside. Like I was just like, that wasn't even in your mind. Yeah. And so we've got to reach. And, um, and so we were talking the other day, it's, um, um, what's, what's the percentage of the young people under 15? Uh, One third of the population of Nunavut is under 15, 15. Like, so we've got to reach the kids. Yeah. We've got to see them transform. Like, we've got the only answer, whether it's in Peterborough, whether it's in Cape Dorset, wherever, we've got the only answer. The government can't fix our nation. Yeah. The government program cannot fix our nation. Like, the kids up north that are committing suicide or have attempted suicide say they hear voices telling them to kill themselves. So you're not going to fix that with a government program. We need the power of God. Yeah. And that's what I love about you and Disciple of City and all of the people involved in all these ministries is that you are carrying the fire of God and taking the answer, the solution for freedom and peace to our nation. 
and I'm I'm your biggest cheerleader. And we're going to see Canada saved. In fact, Canada is being saved. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Um, you, last night you were telling a story um, about a man who, who looked up and that knew there were was a God, yeah. didn't know who he was, and asked for him to send somebody. Can you just tell that story? Because it was so... Well, it's the craziest story. It, it, it changed my life. I mean... My life keeps getting changed, but this was in Russia, and um, we were ministering to the last nomadic group of Eskimos in the world, the Nenet people. They still travel with the reindeer herds, and they're, you know, they make the same trek every year. They live in reindeer skin tents year-round, and um, I've had my wife in those tents with <laughs> The last time I think she was with me in the tent, we went out and this couple, this family invited us to stay with them and our team. They're very gracious, very hospitable. And uh, um, the weather was about 30, 35 below, but overnight it went between 50 and 60 below, the actual temperature. And Todd, like, well, we can't be graphic because it's just audio, so they're not going to see pictures, but there was no bathrooms. And um, so, so our scripture came, what you do, do quickly. <laughs> that was the scripture. <laughs> and my wife is there. <laughs> and um, so we go for walks quite often and whatnot. But um, um, so we, the way do we find these people, because they keep moving, is we rent these old military tanks that will go anywhere. And they're slow, they're noisy, they're fumy, they're rough, but they'll get you there. And so the people hear us coming long before we you don't sneak up on them. And so we get to this one tent, and we'd been, we'd been ministering to families, and, and the harvest was so ripe over there. They just are coming to Christ. And now they're reaching their own people. So every time we go or hear of them, we meet new people that we've never met that are saved and filled with Spirit because somebody we reach, reach them. They become instant evangelists but because they think that's what you do. And so we come to this one tent and this guy comes out and Igor goes and talks to him, our rep and our interpreter, and they chat, comes back. He says, well, he's been waiting for you. He's been expecting you. And that doesn't make any sense to me because you don't make an appointment with these people. They're out there. Yeah. I said, no, he hasn't. He said, yeah, he has. I said, he didn't know we're coming. Yeah, he did. I said, what are you talking about? So he tells me this story, what the man told me. This is amazing. They, he said, we knew there was a God, and we didn't know how to get to him. We didn't know the way. So we'd go outside, our whole family, look up at the moon and the stars, and it's so clear, it's so bright out there in the tundra. And he said, at the top of our voice, we just yell, whoever you are, send somebody to tell us how to get to you. And they actually expected somebody to show up. <laughs> so when we get there, it's kind of like, well, okay, we've been waiting for you. Like, what took you so long? You know. <laughs> and Igor explains where we've come from and all of this. And you think, well, okay, fine. Yeah, so tell us. And like, when it's harvest time, it's harvest time. Whether it's somebody sitting in Tim Hortons here in Peterborough, or whether it's somebody who lives in a tent following the reindeer. Yeah. Um, it's harvest time. Their, their mentality changes. So it was, the, easy, the hard part is getting there. The easy part is seeing them come to Christ. It just makes so much sense. You know, okay, here's the way. We're telling you the way. And yeah, and they come. 
How, how big of a group of people would, would this be? Like You minister to one family at a time. Oh, so they move about as families yeah, as, as opposed family, to big, yeah. big they groups. They travel with each other, travel with their own reindeer herd. And, um, uh, you know, this one family, I went over there one time, just myself and uh, cameraman, Chris Atkins, and um, um, we meet this family with our Russian team in the tent. So we, you know, they invite us to stay with them overnight. So we did. And then the, the father said, um, like he said, I've been wanting to meet you. He said, we became Christians through your ministry, but I've never met you. And I want to say thank you. And he told me some of the great testimonies. Well, value, their value, monetary value is measured in reindeer. Like we were in a village once and we're talking to if some of these people were all staying in the same house, just sleeping bags on the floor. And, and so I said to this one guy, because I'm curious, how many reindeer do you have? And Igor said, I'm not going to ask that. And I said, why? And he said, that's like him asking you, how much money do you have in your bank account? But this man was, he was proud of it. He said, you know, before we came to Christ, we had a small herd. And he said, but when we gave our life to Christ, he said, and we started believing, he said, our reindeer started having so many baby reindeers. He said, we've got 1,500 now. Wow. That's, that's a lot. So they're prosperous. And uh, he said, um, he said, now we're leaving tomorrow morning. He said, we're packing up because in the springtime, it was April, so it was like 30 below, but it's the spring. They're making their migration up north where they keep the reindeers for the winter or for the summer. And then they camp along the river and fish. So um, he said, we're leaving in the morning. Will you come with us? And I said, I'll come with you on one condition. He said, what's that? I said, that I can ride in your sleigh with you and do this. So Chris and I spent probably four or five days living with his family. Every morning they pack up all the stuff, put it in the sleigh, and we spend all day riding the sleigh with the reindeer. <laughs> and uh, we, sent, we sent our vehicle guys away and decided when we'd meet and where. And uh, so... It was so much fun. I mean, it was, I would stop and there's nothing you can see. Like people say, I live in the middle of nowhere. No, you don't. I've been there. (laughs) There's nothing. There's no trees. (laughs) There's nothing as far as you can see. And I said, Chris, how many people get to do this? Every night when they, we, we, you know, they, afternoon, they'll set up their tent and everything. Women take care of everything inside. The men take care of everything outside. And every night we'd have church. And I teach them and, and, you know, they got them praying for each other and, and they were praying for healing for each other and getting healed. And, and they were saying, you know, cause they meet other families as they go, we're going to do this. We're gonna so they can share. Them. We're going to pray for them. We're going to see them healed. And so uh, we did this. And then the last day we, we wake up in the morning and the father says, well, you guys were sleeping boys and I were out and we've got something for you. And so when we get to where we meet our vehicle, they had gone out and killed one of their reindeer, which is very valuable, cut it up and had it all wrapped up. They said, we want to give you an offering because it's important that we give. And because we know God's blessed us, we want to bless. And so that meat you know, went home with our Russian workers and provided meat for quite a while. But it was so precious. So 
Um, so you minister to one family at a time. In fact, we came to one, one, are you okay with time? Are you? Oh yeah. We, we have any place to go. Or? Well, I'm not. Uh, yeah. No, I don't. You got we're, power. You're fine. You're, yeah. 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 We got, you brought the power. So we got the time. <laughs> now, when we leave, we, you know, there's no guarantees, but <laughs> it'll be fine. Um, we get to one tent and again, you know, Igor goes and says, get your family. And he comes back. He says, um, his family's 30 miles over the hills. He's here. He's the shepherd. He's taking care of the reindeer. He had about a thousand reindeer. And at some point, somebody else from the family will come and relieve him. He'll go back. And I'm thinking, well, we can't waste our time here, you know, because I mean, it's unbelievably expensive and unbelievably a lot of red tape you have to go through because we're driving in old military tanks through closed, mil- through closed military zones. And some Russians get really concerned about that. So I take Canadian Inuit with us and they look at it as a cultural exchange, which works fine. <laughs> so we're out here. And um, so I think, well, we can't waste our time here. We'll, we know where family is. We'll go and find them. And one of our Russian workers came and said, shall we serve the one? And I thought, hmm, I didn't want to. Because, you know, success here in North America is measured by numbers. Yeah, There's one guy. And I said, well, Jesus would, wouldn't he? He said, yeah. So I said to David Glukark, who was with us, Susan, his daughter, was a well-known, is a well-known singer, Inuit gal, and Dear, the whole family's friends, him and his wife were there. So I said, David, get your guitar, which means we're going to have a service. Really? I said, really? <laughs> so there's about nine of us, Todd, in a semicircle. And this one guy sitting on a sleigh, just no emotion, just glaring at us. <laughs> trying to figure this out. <laughs> and these strange people show up from, you know, wherever and uh, get out of a tank. And now, so... Our Inuit guys played the guitar, sang, and the guy just stared at them, told them what Jesus had done in their lives, and and it was all translated, and and then what Jesus had done in their family, and what Jesus is doing in northern Canada. The guy just stared, and then he turned it back to me. He didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do. I mean, I thought, if this guy, this just really odd one a congregation of one i thought if he slips out of the meeting we'll know (laughs) it'd be awkward so we had a young guy that um wanted me to mentor him because he felt called to evangelism bruce from ottawa and i said oh bruce why don't you just share your testimony and uh so bruce did as interpreted and then bruce preached and then bruce gave an altar call (laughs) and taught Listen, 100% of the crowd got saved. Oh, yeah. 100%. It's a great number. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And this guy, I mean, everything changed. He got very emotional. He starts laughing. His countenance, his eyes change. And so the guy who says to me, shall we serve the one, um, says to him, have you ever heard about this before? But Jesus, no, never heard the name of Jesus before. Oh, gloriously saved and i said to him you must be really important to god to have us come from the other side of the world for you he said yeah (laughs) he wasn't having any trouble with his self-esteem he really believed that we came just for him holy spirit said to me if there were no other people out here no other families i still would have had you come i would have had to spend all the money i would have had to go through the red tape for this one 
And on the way home, I started reading the Gospels again and thought Jesus did this all the time. He'd leave the cities. He'd leave the crowd. He'd leave Jerusalem for one lady at the well. I mean, he'd go to Zacchaeus' house. He, I mean, shall we serve the one? And Mother Teresa said something to me. Well, she said a lot of things that blew me away. But And, you know, people say, well, she's Catholic. Well, I noticed that, but she loved Jesus. And I said to her, did you ever think God was going to use you in such a great way? She's got, she's got people all over the world serving the poorest of the poor. It's huge. And um, I said, did you ever think you're going to have such a big ministry, great ministry? She said, there's no such thing. She said, ministry, you see one person and you see then as you minister to them, you give them Jesus, you minister to them. And then when you're done, you see, oh, there's another person, you do that. And then there's another. And she, she laughed, she said, before you know it, you've ministered to a lot of people. But real ministry is one at a time. It really is. And sometimes they're in a meeting, but sometimes like this, it's one. And, and if that guy in the, in the tundra was important enough to God, then so are you. And so is everybody listening. And so am I. And we ended up, we went to his family. They all came to Christ. And I would love to be at that reunion when the guy comes back. You never guess what happened. And they say, yeah, we actually do. <laughs> because he, they came here too. So it's, um, you know, you're not going to have big crowds. But you know it's important. Because, um, let me just wrap this up with this. That um, when I heard there were Eskimos or Inuit in Russia who had never heard, and many of them still worship idols, and and their la- in their language, their area means the ends of the earth. Well, that's their mandate, to go see to see the ends of the earth. The ends of the earth keeps changing. So I, I flew over to um, St. Petersburg, Russia, to meet with some Christian leaders because I wanted to find out how do you get to these people? Where are they? And um, they weren't much help, but in the midst of it, this big Russian guy comes to me, and Russians are lovely, but they can come across a little gruff, and he grabs me and shakes me. And Todd, when you've been in healing evangelism, as long as I have, you've been accused of everything. I mean, it's amazing how creative people are with <laughs> their accusations, And uh, um, but uh, this man accused me of something I've never been accused of before. He said, you are holding back the coming of Jesus. Mm. I said, oh, no, no, I'm not. I'm not. Yes, you are. I said, no. He said, he said he wouldn't come back till the gospel goes to the ends of the earth. And he's told you to do it. So do it quickly. Oh. He said, okay, I will do as quickly. I don't want that on me. I said, I'll do as quickly as I can. You know, when I left, I thought, well, he lives in Russia. Why doesn't he do something? Why doesn't he go? But anyway, (laughs) we're doing as quickly as we can (laughs) because um, it's important. And I think here in Canada, the work in the North is very important because they're the gatekeepers of the North. A lot of prophecies that revival is going to start in the North and come down. I don't care where it starts. It's starting all over. I think there's pockets all over where the fire is starting to burn. But um, I just know that before this is all over, and before the coming of Christ and before the Antichrist system, all this stuff, that there's going to be the greatest revival in the history of the world. Yeah. And we're going to be a part of it. Yeah, it's starting. Yeah, I know. Isn't yeah. it great? Yeah. 
and everything's speeding up. Everything's accelerating, which is good for people like me because patience isn't my strong point. (laughs) (laughs) Jacob's laughing. He knows. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So um, it's a good day. Yeah. It's going to get better. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, okay. Um, Bill, I'd maybe we'll just wrap it up. I, there's so much more stories, but I'd like to give people an opportunity to, to, to pursue your ministry through Facebook, Bill Pranker Evangelistic Association on Facebook. And I didn't write it down, but I should have Jacob the, the Arctic mission on Facebook. Yeah. Arctic mission. It's all on BPA. So, yeah. 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 It's all under Bill Prank Evangelistic Association. Our website is just bpea.com. I've got a lot of videos on there, I think, and reports. And, uh, um, cause we want people to know there's, there's every reason to have hope. Yeah. Now's not the time to give up, whether it's for your health, whether it's for your finances, whether it's for your family, your church, your community, or our nation. Now's the time to press in. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank you very much for your time and for like coming you. down. I like you. Thanks. You, uh, get, you gave me coffee and everything. Oh, that's just the beginning. I'm going to hook you up with a Todd sandwich in a minute if, you, if you'd like. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually thinking of Jacob take me into town for a steak. but you know. Oh, well, you could do Well, we don't have any steak, but you <laughs> but could do that. But you power. Come on. We do. Listen, it's an honor to be with you. I really appreciate you and what you're doing and the ministry that you're part of. Thanks. Thanks, Bill. It's an honor to be part of it and just to serve him and to be pursued by God as I was. Um, just my final question for you, Bill. Um, you know, we talked about coast to coast, sea to sea for Canada that we're going to see in these populated areas. But the, the far north, the Arctic Circle, the places that most of us we know of. But like you said, man, you think Hudson Bay, yeah. but there's so much more. Yeah. Um, talking about the one third being kids. Yeah, yeah. What, what, what is your heart's hope for those kids in the next six months? That as many as possible feel God's love, know that they're valued, know that God loves them, God cares about them, and transformed. I mean, and the only way people can be transformed is by the Holy Spirit. So to see a move of Holy Spirit, whole communities, because of the isolation, it's easier to reach an entire community. If a bad thing happens, community affects everybody. But if a good thing happens, it affects everybody. And so we're going to see entire communities, I believe this year, totally transformed and shaken. And the media will not be able to ignore it. But he wants to do that here in Peterborough. He wants to do it in my city of Ottawa. It's... um, it's time for the nation. Yeah, come on. Thanks again, Bill. Appreciate it. Lots of stories from Bill. I'd encourage you to to scope him out, his ministry out on social media, him and Jacob Walda and uh just see some some video footage of what they're actually seeing. And remember how he left the 99 for the one. He comes for the one. So if you're still missing out, he's coming for you. And as a Christian who might think that you're not an evangelist or that it's not your gift, serve the one. 
that's a ministry in itself, one at a time. And let's see Canada saved. Thanks for listening and be blessed, my friends.